1: Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing a friend of mine. His name is Michael Gatlin, and uh, I think that your title is the Director of Multiply Vineyard. I know it has to do with the vineyard churches. Uh, Why don't you enlighten us on that just a little bit, Michael?
0: Well, it's one of those things that vineyard has always been really bad at titles. And so uh, early on when I got the role of kind of being the national coordinator or director or something, the big poobah for vineyard church planting, um, I actually printed up a card that said national director for Multiply Vineyard. And then our national director said, hey, wait, I'm the national director. You're like the coordinator. And I said, okay, I'll be the coordinator for Multiply Vineyard. And then a couple, maybe a year later, he's introducing me at a conference, and he calls me the director or the national director of Multiply Vineyard. So I have no idea what I am. I'm just a I'm I'm just a guy trying to pastor a church in Duluth, Minnesota, and help the vineyard multiply churches in a really good, healthy way. That's how I would describe it.
1: Oh, well, that kind of brings me to two things that I uh, I really like about the vineyard, and uh, they are that you aren't really into titles and stuff like that. You're into doing it, doing, you know, He's doing the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. John Wimber, I said, doing the stuff and that's where it's at. And then the other thing that I like about the vineyard, at least in your history and now with you where you are and our relationship as it's developed a little bit is uh, church planting. And I know there's been a little hiatus there, there after John died and not a lot of church planting went on, but uh, that's why you're there. And that's why we're talking today. So, can yeah. I bring us up to speed about where the vineyard is situated in terms of planting churches, and you know where you've been, where yeah. you're going, and and what the future looks like? It was
0: it was interesting. I think it was about 1990, so about eight years after the vineyard officially got started, that John Wimber had asked. Uh, a pastor from the Evanston Vineyard, Steve Nicholson, to kind of lead a task force to really look at how we might multiply churches better. And I got invited to be kind of a part of that team, you know, like 12 years later um, and become part of that national team. And then I got invited to lead that team about 10 years after that. And so that was probably about 2012. But the, throughout, when I look at the kind of the history of Vineyard Church planning and how many churches were planted a year, there's been a a steady rate of church planting through that whole period of time. Sometimes planting, you know, 20 to 30 churches a year, sometimes 50, 60 churches a year from a pretty small group of churches. And so there's always been a consistent theme of that planting going on. There was a period though, you're absolutely right, Of it seems like about 15 years where we just did not interact with anybody else that was planting churches or very minimally we just kind of quietly kept our head down and went about doing it, really just kind of enjoyed doing it. A few years into that, when I got invited into this, uh, I actually went to some meetings that Ed Stetzer was holding. And what's now, I think, become part of the SEND Institute. But I got invited to one of those meetings, and Ed, who's become a good friend, kind of called me up front and put his arm around me and said, Hey, Michael. Thanks for being here. This is like the first time the vineyard's been at one of these meetings. And there's probably about 100 networks and denominations in the room. And he asked me, he said to everybody, the vineyard's one of the reasons that we're all together in this room. Is kind of the vineyard church planting kind of from the earliest days. And then he puts the microphone in my face and he goes, but where the heck you guys been the last 20 years? (laughs) And so it was, you know, it's, it, it definitely, we have been planting all along, but for a while we just kind of, I don't know, isolated or kept our head down and just worked hard at it in our local churches. And we're like, we're, we have learned so much from everybody else. We are so like engaged with, church planting in the U.S. and around the world right now in so many different ways. And, and I love all the relationships that we're redeveloping in that process. Even some of the ways like Ralph, you have really taught the whole church so many different things about how to multiply churches. I know I said this when we kind of met um, a few months ago, and I just so appreciate just what we've been able to learn from you and your experience in this. So yeah, thanks for thanks for this conversation today. This is fun.
1: Oh, uh, this is great. You know, to me, it's it's a revelation because I and I said a couple of minutes ago that there'd been a hiatus. And, and what you're saying, saying is there've been none. And uh, I understand that about just putting your head down and doing the job during the yeah. the whole, uh, I'm going to say the reign of the, the seeker-driven movement when that yeah. was controlling pretty much the thought of the church in America, uh, we just ducked because you know I pushed against it a little bit because I never did believe in it. <laughs> you know, we did it. We did a large church. I'm not against large churches, but when we when we have to kind of water some things down and all that, then I have some struggles. And so we just had our head down and kept going. And and then uh, we thought you guys had kind of checked out, and to know that you had it <laughs> and it, and it, you're still growing. Because of the admiration that we've always had for you, that's really really yeah. cool. One uh,
0: of my, one of my favorites. One of my favorite stories, if I could share really quickly, I met a church planter in in uh, New York, who, when he met us, he's like, "Oh my gosh, the vineyard's still around." He <laughs> goes, "The last thing I remember about the vineyard was like a, a worship album with a foam orange microphone." cover on it. You know, but, <laughs> and I uh, go, well, yeah, we're still here. We're still planting churches. He goes, well, if I'd have known that, I'd have planted a church with a vineyard. You guys have been so influential in my life.
1: Yeah.
0: It made me very sad from the outside. Uh, it seemed like we had given up on this. Now we've been working away at it for all these years.
1: That's really cool. And I, I the, the next question I want to ask comes from, and maybe it's a misunderstanding, but I don't think so. I think, I mean, if people could see you, you, you kind of still look like a little bit like a hippie, like where we all came from. <laughs> so I would imagine you're a little different in your role than a lot of guys who are in a similar role in a denomination because a lot of them are wearing suits and they're all kind of, you know, whatever. So, so whatever you want to ask you is what is your role? And then yeah. specifically, how does it affect people kind of on the bleeding edge of the movement the kind of the guys who maybe don't kind of fit with everybody else? Cause that's, to me, that's, that's where growth happens, is those guys, because they're exactly. they're really, you know, in Japan they have a, a a proverb that says kind of the national proverb. It's why it's a, a conformist society, and they say the nail that stands up must be driven down. And so well, we're always looking for the nail that refuses to be driven down. Yeah. And and I I, I want you to talk about that because the vineyard that I know is uh, is about guys that are the nail that refuses to be driven down. Yeah. And, you
0: know, as an organization, as a movement grows, just like as a family grows, sometimes those folks, um, kind of the, the wild edge, the creativity, the 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 dreamers, sometimes kind of get left out as, a, as an organization matures, just simply because some of what it takes to actually mature and develop healthy structures are really different than what it takes to get started. Yeah. And, what I, one of the things I've noticed in myself and in church planters in general uh, that I've worked with um, and cre- really creative thinkers is that boy we have to keep creating space for the dreaming, the experimentation, the the skunk works, if you will, you know, the the development of new ideas, and actually protecting that group of people. And so so part of part of my role, I'm a local church pastor. My wife and I moved up here with our little kids back in 97, Duluth, Minnesota, to kind of replant a struggling vineyard church. And so now we've been here the whole time, and we're constantly looking for leaders and training them and sending them out. And then um, I'm different than a lot of folks in my position in other denominations or movements because I'm still a full-time senior pastor in a local church, and I'm helping to lead our movement nationally. And honestly, it's like two full-time jobs. And I wouldn't have it any other way at this season of my life because I like being rooted in the ground, in the local church, pastoring and planting. And, and I'm so happy at this point during you know the our global pandemic that like I've got a local church community that I am constantly rooted and ingrained in. But then I'm also wanting to give a lot of freedom to the folks on the edges to keep experimenting and to keep trying stuff because I always think of... Um, Oh, what's the phrase that everybody uses? Oh, best practices. Yeah. I, I always think best practices are like a coffin for the future. That's good. Like I'm, That's I'm good. stating it too strongly for effect, but I always think best practices, yeah, those are the things that worked yesterday. I'm looking for what the Holy Spirit's doing tomorrow and how can we participate in what God's doing. And, and I'm, always, I'm always looking at the edges for those things to see kind of what's coming. So I love creating spaces where that kind of a person can thrive and... They're not going to mess up the health of the family necessarily for what it's doing right now. But they're going to, for some of that that they're working on, they're going to develop some really cool things that are going to actually help us in the future for what's going on. So I'm not sure I answered your question. Oh, you did.
1: You know, my observation, because I was kind of one of those guys when I was young anyway, is uh, those people lead by doing. Uh, other people will imitate and that's where the best practices yeah. thing comes in. But yeah. quite often what they're doing is uh, cross purposes to what the organization has been doing. And so yeah. then they get stomped on. You know, yeah. I there's there two things that stick out in my mind along this. One is my friend Dave Ferguson with Exponential yeah. wrote a book called Hero Makers. And, yeah. you know, I found out that if you want more of something, then brag on who's doing it right. And so yeah. I would always brag on, the guys that were kind of on that bleeding edge doing things a little different. And, and then we get a lot, that's where we got our church sponsors from. Yeah. But, yeah. But early on I was affected by an author named Tom Peters. He's not a believer. And one of the things that he talked about is in uh, he actually the word skunk works probably came into the vocabulary. It was invented at Lockheed, but Peters made yeah. it pretty famous. Yeah. But he talked about the need for, for champions that people would mm-hmm. champion and protect, those people who are the maybe a little bit of an oddball because they're doing something creative and special. And, and, and you got to have somebody that shelters them. And, and, the, and the perception that I have, cause I did what you do. I was a, uh, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I was a supervisor over a bunch of churches in the denomination I was in while I was pastoring. And the good thing about that was I knew what they were going through. And right now yeah. this whole yeah. pandemic is going on. And of course we talked a little bit earlier You know what everybody else is going through because you're going through it yourself.
0: Without a doubt. Yeah. And
1: creating that freedom, there's always
0: this kind of weird balance from a leadership perspective, creating freedom for like brand new stuff to emerge while keeping the things that you're doing coming along in a healthy way, not just maintenance, but actually humming along and growing in a healthy way not everybody is wired for the creative uh, rethinking. In fact, just a great example of that in the early days of the church plant, like I did not have a lot of education in like how to do bookkeeping for a church, right? Uh So I'm kind of developing it using my artistic brain and what I had developed in my career up to that point. I'm kind of almost every week, I'm rewriting the chart of accounts. Uh If you're an accountant, you know what I'm talking about, Uh right? And I'm almost every year I'm redoing it. And it came to like year four or five, my, my bookkeeper, poor gal, she just kind of, at one of our board meetings, just walked in and threw down the reports and, and, and broke out in tears. And I'm like, what's going on right now? And she goes, you
1: keep rewriting this thing.
0: <laughs> and I realized, okay, there's places in my life where I need to push the creativity pause button. <laughs> yeah. And just let things function in a healthy way. And then there's other places to do that. And I think, you know, being a, a leader, you can't just be trying to like skirt the system and be creative. Oh, that's right. But you need to create venues for that along the way.
1: So, yeah, so there's balance that's
0: good. There's, there's oh, Absolutely. Balance it's kind of both and. Yeah.
1: So who who is the most significant person in your life that the help bring you to where you are as a as a as a church finder, pastor? Guy that's helping other people do that.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting. You sent me that question beforehand, and I started jotting down uh, the first few names that came to my mind. And as I just sat with that and prayed about it for a second, I actually came up with a list of about 35 names.
1: Really? Name the uh, top three and tell tell a little bit of their story. So,
0: uh, one of the very first guys, his, his name was Bobby, was a pastor at, I think it was a Mennonite church. Uh, I had, it was my second year of Bible college. And so I felt like that God was rearranging my life and I was heading a different direction instead of law school. I went to Bible college and I began studying this. I got opportunities to teach and preach a little bit and I loved it and opportunities to disciple people. And I thought, Oh, this is, this is amazing. I haven't had this much fun since the day the hogs ate my little brother. And so I'm going to (laughs) like jump into this thing. And I attended this church a couple of times and this guy, was just doing his pastor gig thing, but there was a few things about him that I really respected. And so I set up a meeting with him one day. I went and sat in his office and I go, I go, Hey, I don't know if you've ever read this, but Paul discipled this guy named Timothy. Like I'm brand new (laughs) to this whole thing. Right. And he just gets a smirk on his face and I go, I'd be your Timothy if you'd be my Paul. Wow. Right. And he, and he just goes, you know what, let me give you a couple assignments and come back next week. And so he did that over three or four months and we eventually ended up trading cars I gave him a cool 65 Mustang. He gave me a really cool 64 Volkswagen bus, you know, and we actually became like pretty good friends a period of time. His name was Bob Weisenberger uh, out of Oregon. And he really put me on a path to realize I could do the things that he's doing in terms of discipling people. And he kind of gave me hope for it. And in the midst of that, he got booted from the church he was pastoring really? for being a little too creative. And then I got to help him start a brand new church. Wow. Uh, So that was my first introduction to like, oh, this is how that
1: works.
0: (laughs) And then years later, I'm working as an artist. I'm living in Minneapolis. A guy comes to town named Steve Nicholson, who led the church planting effort for the vineyard for a number of years. Uh And I, from afar, I got to hang out with him and got mentored by him and really just put myself in different positions to learn from what he was doing. And Steve, you know, has never been accused of being the big upfront personality, but he is this he's this man who loves history an extreme introvert but the holy spirit moves through him in the most powerful ways that i'd ever seen anybody operate kind of in that regard a deep love for theology and a life of the mind and a deep love for the life of the spirit and he just spoke into my life in ways that really encouraged me to keep embracing uh, what i was doing years later i met at a dinner with him and another friend and Things here in Duluth were pretty healthy, and where the church was growing, we were reproducing. They were joking around over dinner, like, Yeah, we didn't know what would happen when Gatlin went up to Duluth, <laughs> if things would really go very far. And I'm like, Wait a minute, I thought you guys believed in me. So he goes, You were just kind of this weird introvert artist. We didn't know what would happen, but thankfully things worked out good. And, That's uh, interesting. So it was fun how, like, that was not my perception. My perception that he thought I was like, the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? <laughs> the way that the way that he invested in me, yeah. and yet, and he kept investing in me, even though he thought I was kind of a weird, introverted, you know, goofy artist with, with long hair, or whatever. Oh, yeah. So it's like those are a couple of the people that like super invested in my life. One of the guy named John Marsden, who was part of a church I had been through some really difficult times, my wife and I, and a couple of church plans that didn't work. And he invited us in to his community, gave us leadership, responsibility, gave us growth opportunity, and really spoke incredible health and healing over a long period of our. Time and even when I remember we showed up on a Mother's Day, we had gotten in a fight on the way to church and we couldn't even walk into building together. My wife and I were so mad at each other. And he's getting ready to preach, and he gets a group of guys to take me in one room, a group of gals to take Brenda in another room. Throughout the whole service, they're just listening and praying for us. At the end of the service, he invites us all back together into the same room and just ministers to us. At the same time, he's giving us leadership opportunities in his church. And so, like I, I listed Honestly, like 35 names like that, people that um, when I look back, like I would not be where I'm at in any sense of healthiness if they hadn't. And honestly, we all have that. And we're all called to be that, to take risks and to really help other people grow in that, no matter how annoying they happen to be <laughs> 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 or how badly they've gotten in a fight with their spouse in the moment.
1: Okay, so I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Go for it. And, and you may have a hard time answering this and just because it's coming out of left field. So can you... Tell us the most annoying person you ever had to be Paul to, the most annoying Timothy, and what made you oh, wow. that way.
0: You know, when, um, one of the things I, I, we teach a little thing to pastors about identifying leaders. And one of the things I tell them to look for is look for the kind of the younger, annoying uh, man or woman who just always thinks that you could be doing something better than you're doing it. Right. And so like there's something that goes off in my head when somebody who has no experience whatsoever, starts kind of criticizing what I'm doing. Uh My first is to, my first is defensiveness and I want to just, just, yeah. you know, duke it Michael. out. Them, right. And yeah. And then there's something that just clicks off in my head and I think, oh my gosh, this is what I've been praying for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been praying that God brings me these leaders and they're really super annoying. Gosh, at the moment, nope, I, I don't have a, a single person who's coming to mind, but I'm, I'm thinking of these different instances where I've like in the midst of doing something and somebody just, you know, right afterwards just comes right up to me to tell me like how it could have done this and I could have done that and this could have been better. And I'm thinking, you've never done anything.
1: What are you doing? But well, it's turned out pretty well when you've when you've adopted those guys.
0: Yeah. When you invest in those men and women, it's amazing to me what happens when they know that they're loved and cared for and you begin to give them opportunity to grow. Um, that is like it's just amazingly it's amazingly cool and and they've generally argued with me about every point I'm trying to teach them along the way they have a couple names I have a couple faces in mind right now and one guy like I just I didn't even do his church planning assessment until he had gathered about 80 people in an old rundown bar because I knew that if I if I pressed him too soon and to try to fit into a mold he was just going to run away yeah, he was going yeah. to use that as an excuse not to do anything. Yeah. But as he fell in love with the people that he was leading to Christ and discipling, like eventually he's willing to address some of his own issues of yeah. personal integrity and growth, just simply because he didn't want to leave all the people he gathered high and
1: dry. That's good. That's good. And he probably
0: thought he could pastor it better than I could. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, we're going to end the podcast with that. So thanks for being with us. And thank everybody oh, thanks, who's yeah. listening. It's been fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Ralph. I so appreciate you. So thank yeah, you for staying thank you for staying and engaged in this game. This is like it's a fun thing to do. And I so admire you and what you've done over the years and the way that you've created space for so many of us to keep uh, doing what you. we're doing. So thank, thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.